0: You're listening to Upstanders, stories of extraordinary citizenship in unexpected places. I'm Rajiv Chandrasekharan. Our story today comes to us from Salt Lake City, Utah. A few years ago, the homeless population there was so big, the shelters were overflowing. And it was getting worse, and the city was out of ideas. That was until one man came up with a radical solution. But first, I'd like to introduce you to Howard Schultz, He's the chairman and chief executive of Starbucks. We started this podcast so we could bring important stories like this to you. Howard and I sat down to talk about it.
1: I think what we fail to realize is behind every tent and every sleeping bag, there is a personal story uh, that we don't have the answer to. And the question is, how did that person get there? And what is our civic responsibility to ensure the fact that they don't stay there.
0: The problem of homelessness, it's affecting every major American community.
1: This problem is an epidemic. There are times when I have a hard time reconciling that this is America. And I think this episode demonstrates once again, not only the power of leadership and civic responsibility, but most importantly, solving the problem and solving it in a way that is replicable to other cities across the country if you have the faith and confidence in doing it the right way.
0: And at times perhaps unconventional thinking in solving a seemingly intractable problem.
1: Correct. There is one common thread to all of these stories, though. Compassion, empathy, and love.
0: Now with the story. Here's Sujin Park.
2: Dustin Ivy lives in Salt Lake City. By the time he was 18, he was using drugs and getting into a lot of trouble.
3: Because of my drug problems and criminal problems, I was forced to move out of my mother's house.
2: He moved from place to place.
3: Sometimes I would couch surf, go to a friend's houses and stay, or just stay outside.
2: Dustin says that using heroin was the only way he could deal with being homeless.
3: Being on the streets reinforced my drug use and then using the drugs also reinforced my homelessness so that I was in like a vicious cycle that continued to support itself either way. I was homeless off and on for the last eight years.
2: Matt Minkovich is the director of The Road Home, Salt Lake City's largest homeless shelter. He says Dustin is what's called chronically homeless. It's the term the Department of Housing and Urban Development uses to describe people experiencing consistent and long-term homelessness. Matt says not that long ago, Salt Lake City had a significant amount of people who were chronically homeless.
4: If we're to rewind the clock and go back to the late 90s, our shelters were operating at capacity. We had families who were signing up on a waiting list to get into shelter, so we had not enough room for families. Uh, We had individuals who were living at the shelter and consuming about two-thirds of the beds.
2: To fight the problem, Matt and other homeless advocates in Utah started a homelessness task force, and they knew just the person to lead them.
4: We knew that Lloyd Pendleton had to be a, a key part of this effort.
2: Lloyd Pendleton was a well-known businessman and an influential member of the Salt Lake City community. For years, he'd worked for the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints Welfare Department. He helped develop food pantries, emergency shelters, and other charities across the country. Lloyd was known as the guy who could get things done.
4: Lloyd uh, was one of the real uh, innovators who helped to look at new approaches, things that were being done outside of Salt Lake City. So we reached out to uh, different parties in uh, state government and and other places and, and simply begged, please help us have Lloyd
5: help us with this effort.
2: But at the time, Lloyd was 66 years old and nearing retirement.
5: I realize a lot of people say, well, I've now done my work. I can now enjoy life.
2: Luckily for Matt and others on the task force, Lloyd is not one for the leisurely life.
5: Work is enjoyment for me. I love every job I've been in.
2: So just days after retiring, Lloyd agreed to lead the task force. His goal? To end homelessness in Utah in 10 years. Lloyd knew that ambitious goals required ambitious ideas. In 2003, he discovered a program called Housing First, It was started by Dr. Sam Sambaris in New York City in the 90s. It works like this.
5: You take a person from the street or the shelter and you put them into housing first rather than having them housing ready. They can continue to drink and use drugs in their unit just like we can in our housing. Lloyd was skeptical. I thought, well, that's interesting. You really never can end homelessness. Too many personal choices. So I had an attitude of Cynicism that, you know, this is unrealistic, that really can't be done.
2: But Dr. Simberis's small case study had big results. After five years, nearly all of the residents were still in their homes.
5: Research has found, and we have found, basically that once you get into housing, you get stabilized, substance abuse and alcohol goes down because you're not self-medicating to deal with the stress on the street.
2: It lit a spark.
5: I can remember thinking to myself... If there's any state in the union that can end chronic homelessness, it's the state of Utah.
2: But Lloyd knew this was going to be a tough sell.
5: Here in the West, we're skeptical of ideas that come from New York City and Washington, D.C. We don't necessarily trust all those ideas. People here in the West think that the people in these think they have all the solutions, and they try to tell the people in the West how to run their lives.
2: But as luck would have it, he met Dr. sambaris on an airport shuttle after a conference in Las Vegas. Lloyd invited him to share his ideas with Utah's decision makers. It was a huge success.
5: He came, we cut the idea, and we decided to do a pilot to begin to understand this Housing First model.
2: Together, they convinced the state to support a Housing First project in Salt Lake City. Of course, Lloyd wasn't one to take the easy route.
5: So if we're going to do a pilot, let's take the most challenging, difficult, chronically homeless people we can find and house them because we will learn the most. And we want to learn the most.
2: Most people resisted the idea, but some were willing to change. Lloyd found landlords who agreed to work with the program. The residents also had to adapt.
5: When he put them into housing, they didn't know quite how to deal with that. And so they slept on the floor or out by the dumpster before they got into their own bed and began to adapt to their housing environment. We had one case manager that went in in the winter and said, it was cold in here. Why don't you turn up the heat? said, how do you turn up the heat? See, this thing on the wall is called a thermostat. You just turn it like this.
2: And then they waited.
5: It was a flaming success.
2: Nearly two years later, everyone in the pilot program was still living in their homes. No one was in jail, no one had overdosed, and the new program was actually cheaper for the state.
5: It was only $150,000 and 17 people, so it was a low cost, low risk, but high return on the education. So once we had that experience and we saw that it worked, then we could use that to educate people in Utah. Yes, it does work. It was a powerful turning point for us.
6: I think the, the real lesson is that we're all human beings.
2: That's Kerry Bate. He was the director of the Salt Lake County Housing Authority when they piloted Housing First in Utah.
6: Sometimes some of us look disheveled and, uh, and may be speaking to people that aren't there, but there's still a rich, vibrant, talented human being there. And if we can get them to a place where they have a chance to achieve wellness and have support enrich their lives and contribute that we're all better off.
2: And Carrie says they saw how giving someone a place to live actually helped them fight their addiction. After years of living on the streets and using drugs, Dustin Ivy, who we met earlier, ended up in the ICU with a serious staph infection.
3: I was dying and I realized I was dying and unless I changed my ways, I was going to continue to kill myself. And at that point, I had Wanted to be sober, I I see no way in order to get that way.
2: Dustin checked himself into an inpatient treatment program. Even though he was still in recovery, the program helped him get an apartment. He now lives in the housing-first complex called Grace Mary Manor. His apartment has a twin bed in one corner, a kitchen table with two chairs, a recliner, and a TV with a DVD player. But the walls are bare. There's no art, no framed photos... No mementos whatsoever.
3: I never foreseen a place for me to stay. Um, I hoped for it. I didn't know the steps to get there.
2: He says this apartment is a new start. Even the simple things, like having his own shower, are life-changing.
3: I feel like I'm in heaven right now because I don't have to wake up and worry about a place to stay or worry about my addiction. I'm able to wake up, provide for myself, go to work, um, enjoy life on life's terms, and... Not be a slave to sleeping on the streets, worry about if I'm gonna get robbed today or if I'm gonna, you know, if I'm not gonna be able to afford my drugs and if I'm gonna be sick or where the situation is.
2: But Carrie says that for a better life, residents need more than just a roof overhead.
6: What we learned is that people can move into housing, but if they're completely isolated, they never come out of their room, if they have mental health issues or they're suffering from depression, it can be a very debilitating experience.
2: So, he says Housing First facilities are built to encourage social interaction.
6: What we want to do is make sure that people have a reason to come out of their room and they have some quality in their living. So we have this game room that we're sitting in, where we have, you know, you play ping pong, you play pool, checkers, do puzzles. We have an exercise room. We have a large community room for uh, big social events, meals, parties.
2: They can also find work at the complex. Dustin has a part-time job at the front desk.
3: Now people look at me with that I'm taking care of myself. I'm not asking for a handout. I'm willing to put forth effort to get what I want.
2: He's also planning for his future. He hopes to attend community college to study applied science. And so for the first time since he moved in, Dustin puts something up on his wall. I
3: have a taped periodic table of elements that I've drawn that helps me study. Once I got sober, I realized that I had a lot more interest than I had at the time, and I've been pursuing them.
2: Since adopting Housing First, Utah has reduced chronic homelessness by an astounding 91%. It's all due to the combined efforts of leaders throughout the state.
4: I would like to think that Housing First is an idea whose time has come, and that naturally it would have occurred through societal forces or some other some other force that would make that happen. That, 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 that's a nice thought. The fact of the matter is I have no belief that Housing First would have ever succeeded in Salt Lake City had it not been for Lloyd Pendleton.
2: Lloyd recently stepped down from the task force, but he's not standing still. Now 76, Lloyd's focusing his energy on persuading other cities and states to try Housing First.
5: Anybody can do it. It's not unique to Utah. are some basic fundamentals that you need to have in place and that is some champions who are willing to work with you. You need to collaborate, get out of your silos and come together around a common vision and care for your homeless citizens.
2: When he drives through downtown Salt Lake City, Lloyd still sees homeless people on the streets. He knows his work isn't finished.
5: It's a continuum, it's a process, so we knew we couldn't do it all at once. And I think that's one of the problems. People get hung up in trying to solve all of the problems rather than picking one and prioritizing it and drilling it down. Because when you take a small piece and really make it work, it impacts the overall system and helps make it much more effective. And that's what we've done here.
1: When we were sitting with Lloyd, I think I said to Lloyd, Lloyd, what's preventing other municipalities and cities across the country from replicating what you've done in Utah? I mean, what's in the air in Utah? And he laughed. He said, there's nothing. All you have to do is commit yourself to it and do what's necessary with regard to Housing First. And obviously, there's many other things, but he strongly believes that he has created a comprehensive plan for almost every municipality in the country to help solve this problem. And he was willing to be a leader, right? He was willing to say
0: this is the right thing to do and brought people on board, and he charted
1: a course to do it. It required courage. Here is an example of someone who did not volunteer to be an upstander. He found himself in a situation where he made a decision that he was gonna make a significant difference in the lives of people who unfortunately had found their way on the street. And he was gonna solve the problem. Comprehensively, holistically, and as you said, the statistics bear it out. What he's done is remarkable. A drop
0: in chronic homelessness by 91%, it almost defies the imagination, Howard.
1: It's stunning. One thing that is maybe lost on us with regard to the homeless problem is the opportunity of all of these people to give back to our society, who are being cast aside, thrown away, as people who no longer have any value. All of these people have a personal story. They didn't just wake up one day and they were homeless. Something happened to them. We have a moral obligation to help them get back on their feet. What is it going to take for us as Americans to not look away
0: On the next episode, we're going to tackle police brutality head-on. We'll meet a former sheriff who was fed up with how her officers resorted to violent confrontations in the field. So she reformed the way cops think about the communities they serve from the inside. That's coming up next time. Our story today was narrated by Jin Park. Casey Holford composed our music. Thanks to Howard Schultz for his vision and support. This is a Starbucks original series produced by Panoply, by Fanny Cohen, Andrew Chug, Whitney Donaldson, Margaret Kelly, Jordan Bell, Zach Dinerstein, Anne Hepperman, and Rob Aber. If you've been inspired by these stories and want other people to hear them, the single best way to help out this podcast is to rate, review, and subscribe. And of course, tell your friends and neighbors. And if you're really inspired, teach someone new how to download a podcast. It's easy. I'm Rajiv Chandrasekharan. Thanks for listening.